Harmony from Magic White and Black by Franz Hartmann Chapter 5 Let no one enter here who is not well versed in mathematics and music. Pythagoras Quote, To listen to the music of the spheres is a poetical expression, but it expresses a great truth, because the universe is filled with harmony, and a soul who is in full harmony with the soul of the universe may listen to that music and understand it. The world as well as man resemble musical instruments, in which every string should be in perfect order, so that no discordant notes may be sounded. We may look upon matter on the physical plane as a state of low vibration, and upon spirit as the highest vibration of life, and between the two poles are the intermediary principles constituting the grand octave called man. A more exact study of the laws of harmony will undoubtedly give us a deeper insight into the laws which govern the functions of the principles of which nature and man are composed. Woman is the image of man representing humanity's beauty and will, while the male part of humanity is to represent reason and strength, but neither can continue to exist without the other, and neither a male nor a female being is perfect. Only that being is perfect in which the male and female elements are united. <laughs> that which saves the male portions of mankind from becoming brutes is the remnants of the female principle still left in Adam when Eve was created out of one of his ribs. That which constitutes the true woman is the eternal divine female principle, the eternal virgin in her, that which brings woman near to the semi-animal male and which makes her discernible to him is the male elements contained in her human organization. A man without any female elements in him would be a devil. A woman without any male elements would be an angel, but could not live upon a gross material planet such as Earth. The Mol Accord is the harmonious counterpart of the Dur Accord, but it has been proved that the existence of a family of Mol Accords existing independently of Dur Accords and running in parallel lines with the latter is an impossibility. The most beautiful sound is not a single sound, but an accord of three. Such an accord is like a mental conception, which, for the purpose of realizing its existence as a unity, has to pass through these three phases of consciousness, viz. 1. That of being one with itself. 2. That of being different from itself. And 3 that of conceiving that these two states are only one. Nature is the product of a cause, and everything in nature is ruled by the law of cause and effect. There can be no arbitrary ruler in the universe, and even if there were such a ruler, his decisions would be the effects of the action of his mind, and the actions of his mind would be determined by pre-existing causes, and he would therefore be subject to law. A being that is not subject to law is an unimaginable monster that cannot exist, because all beings come into existence through the law of cause and effect, and nothing can be without having come into existence. Only the eternal law itself, which is no thing, self-existent and absolute. Here it might be objected that the law could not exist if there was not a cause of the law, in other words, a lawgiver and such would be the case if we had to deal with arbitrary laws. But the eternal law of cause and effect requires no lawgiver, because it is eternal and therefore self-existent. Each being is subject to that law, because each is a product of it. The law of cause and effect calls all beings into existence, but the law itself is not a being, and if man enters the state of nirvana, he ceases to be subject to the law, because he is then one with the law. He is the law, and cannot be subject to any other law but himself, and has ceased to be a being. Man is a being, and exists in the world, having come into existence according to the law of cause and effect. The form and quality of his being depend on the physical conditions under which he was born, 
The state of his soul depends on the astral influences that concentrated their power upon him in consequence of his affinity. His character depends on the causes created during his previous existence, and these causes constitute his karma, of which he himself is the creator. Man is himself a product of the law of cause and effect, and in all departments of nature the effects produced are always in exact proportion to the causes that produced them. If we knew the causes well, we could easily calculate their effects. Each thought, each word, each act creates a cause, which acts directly on the plane to which it belongs, creating their new causes, which react again upon the other planes. Note Paracelsus explains how the morbid imagination of man may create states in the mental atmosphere which poison the imagination of nature, and how, by a reaction of the universal soul upon the soul of man, epidemic diseases come into existence. A thought is a mental state that may be expressed in a word, and the word may be made effective by an act. An act is the expression of the word of a thought, Every form in nature has a threefold constitution, every symbol a threefold meaning, every perfect act is a trinity. To perform an action, three factors are necessary the actor, the act, and the object acted on. To constitute a complete act, three factors again are required the motive, the will, and the performance. A motive or thought which finds no expression in an act will have no direct result on the physical plane, but it may cause great emotion in the sphere of mind, and these may again react on the physical plane. The best intention will produce no visible effect unless it is put into execution. But intentions produce certain mental states that may be productive of actions at some time in the future. The performance of an act will have an effect, no matter whether it was premeditated or not, but an act without a motive will not directly affect the planes of thought. Such an act is the result of insanity, and imposes no moral responsibility upon the performer, but it will nevertheless have its effects on the physical plane that may react upon the mind. From the causes created on the physical, astral, and spiritual planes, innumerable combinations of effects come into existence, creating new causes that are again followed by effects, and every force that is put into action on either plane continues to act until it is exhausted by transformations into other modes of action when its vibrations will be changed to others and the previous effects will cease to exist. It is highly interesting to study the actions of the law of cause and effect on the various planes of existence. By the threefold action of that law as thought, will, and performance on the physical, emotional, intellectual, and spiritual planes, a great many varieties ensue which give rise to endless modifications and varieties, and again produce innumerable secondary causes, which again produce effects. For instance, a good act performed on the physical plane with an evil thought, or an evil act performed with a good motive, or a good act with a good motive, or an evil act with an evil thought, produces certain effects upon one plane, while the motive affects another plane, and they both react upon higher planes, and their results are produced, which react again upon the lower planes, and at last, the actions of the law of karma will becomes so complicated that it is impossible to follow it into its details. Nor is it necessary that we should do so, for we should not do good as a matter of speculation and for the purpose of acquiring good karma, but we should do good because we love good on account of its goodness. Man is not a being whose existence is separated from nature, but an integral part thereof. Heat and cold, sunshine and storms on the physical plane affect his body, the elemental forces of nature act upon his soul, and the influence of the universal spirit radiates to his center. Likewise, man reacts upon the whole. By his physical labor he changes the face of the earth, acting sometimes as a creator and at other times as a destroyer of forms. 
His emotions produce currents in the soul of the world. They give rise to new causes in the invisible realm, which again react upon the physical plane. His imagination may create thought germs that may, in the course of time, find expression in physical forms. His passions may give rise to epidemic diseases. His collective and accumulative energies lead to convulsions in nature. And if harmony is restored in the universal man, nature will be restored to harmony. The discords in nature are produced by imperfect man. Having tasted of the tree of knowledge, he has learned to oppose his individual will to the order existing in nature, and he will continue to suffer the consequences of his sins until he recognizes the superiority of the all to that of the individual, and uniting his will with that of the whole ends the conflict of separate interests, and thereby restores the unity and harmony of the whole. Originally, Eternal nature was a harmonious whole, in which discords were created by a separation of interests among its constituents and an opposition of their individual wills to the will of the whole. In the beginning, the universal will radiating from the center became, so to say, reversed in the action of its surface rays, and thereby the sphere of illusions came into existence at the periphery sphere representing the visible world. But at the center there still exists the immeasurable power of the uniform law, where light penetrates through the clouds that surround the spiritual sun. These clouds constitute the world of illusions, and the action of this law can be perceived in every form of activity in all departments of nature. Plato wrote over the door of his academy, Let no one enter here unless he is well versed in mathematics. And Pythagoras demanded the additional knowledge of music. They meant to say that he who wishes to investigate the hidden mysteries of nature must be able to draw logical conclusions from his observations and attune his soul to the divine harmonies of the universe. Nature is still a unity and every part of it stands in a certain definite relationship to the whole. Nothing is left to chance. Everything has its number, measure, and weight, and there is nothing in nature which is not ruled by mathematical laws. Suns and stars have their periodical revolutions. The molecules of bodies combine in certain proportions known to chemistry, and in all events on the physical plane as well as in the realm of the emotions, a certain regularity and periodicity has been observed. There are regular hours for the appearance of day and night, fixed intervals for spring and summer, autumn and winter, for ebbs and tides in the ocean and in the waters constituting the soul. The physiological and anatomical changes in animal forms occur at fixed periods, and even the events of life take place according to certain occult laws. Because although man's actions seem to be free, yet his actions are caused by his will, and his will is influenced by his mental states, which are again the effects of still deeper causes that find their origin in the supreme law. The followers of Pythagoras knew every process in nature to be regulated by certain numbers, which are as follows, 3, 9, 15, 45, 4, 16, 34, 136, 5, 25, 65, 325, 6, 36, 111, 666, 7, 49, 175, 1225, 8, 64, 260, 2080, 981, 369, 3321. This table represents a succession of numbers which are obtained by the construction of tetragrams or magic squares, and it was believed that by the use of these numbers every effect could be calculated if the original number referring to the cause were known. If everything has a certain number of vibrations, and if these vibrations increase or diminish at a certain ratio and in regular periods, a knowledge of these numbers will enable us to predict a future event. 
Every person has a certain number that expresses his character, and if we know that number we may, by the use of the magic squares, calculate certain periodical changes in his mental and emotional states, which may induce him to make certain changes in his outward conditions, and in this way we may, perhaps, calculate approximately the time when some important changes may take place in his career. But as the numbers of men are known only to the enlightened, who do not require such calculations, these magic squares are at present of little practical value, and of none whatever for the purpose of fortune-telling, or to satisfy idle curiosity in regard to future events. This law of periodicity is, however, a universal law, and an attention to it may lead to some important discoveries. Its actions have long been known to exist in the vibrations producing light and sound, and it has recently been recognized in chemistry by experiments tending to prove that all so-called simple elements are only various states of vibrations of one primordial element, manifesting itself in seven principal modes of action, each of which may be subdivided into seven again. The difference which exists between so-called single substances appears, therefore, to be no difference of substance or matter, but only a difference of the function of matter or in the ratio of its atomic vibration. The occultists of all ages have looked upon the seven as being a sacred number. The religious books of the East speak of seven emanations of Parabram, and there is a sufficient number of passages in the Apocalypse and in other parts of the Bible to make it appear that the relation which this mysterious number bears to the construction of the universe has not escaped the attention of the Christian fathers. The ancient philosophers believed that there were seven planets in our solar system, and modern scientists base their claims of their superiority over the ancient astronomers upon the fact that they have discovered more planets and asteroids than were known in ancient times. Eternal truths which are cognizable to the spiritual perception of the illuminated of today must be the same that were seen by seers thousands of years ago. Because such truths do not change, neither can a true spiritual perception make any mistakes. It is therefore probable that if the exoteric doctrines of the ancients spoke of the seven planets, the esoteric meaning was that there existed six planetary spheres, which, including the central sphere, produced seven. According to the prevailing opinion in regard to the nebular theory, our planetary system has been evolved from the original substance, fire mist, that constituted the body of the sun, forming an immense sphere extending beyond the orbit of Neptune. If we imagine, in a sphere of centrifugal force radiating from the center towards the periphery and a centripetal force acting towards the center, there will be a point between the center and the periphery where the two opposing forces meet. At that point, their straight motions will either counteract each other, and there will be a standstill, or, what is more probable, the radial force will be broken and transformed into a revolving motion around a new center formed at the place of contact. In such a case, there would be not less than six bodies to enclose the seventh on all sides. But as to the number of corporeal planetary bodies visible in the sky, this is a matter belonging to the investigation of mundane astronomy. Occult science deals with principles. The ultimate outcome of the expressions of these principles in corporeal forms is a matter of secondary importance. The number seven represents the scale of nature. It is represented in all departments of nature, from the radiant sun whose light is broken by a dewdrop, into the seven colors of the rainbow, down to the snowflake crystallizing in six-pointed stars around the invisible center. The law of seven has been found to rule in the development and growth of vegetable and animal organisms, in the constitution of the universe and in the constitution of man. Seven is the rule by which the totality of existence is measured, but five is the number of harmony. If the fifth note in the musical scale is in accord with the first and third, harmony will be the result. There are other accords which are harmonious, 
but the most perfect accord is caused by the harmony of the first, the third, and the fifth. The sounds may be harmonious, but to attain a perfect accord, a third one is required. The same law rules in the constitution of man. If his body, his first principle, is in accord with his instincts, the third, then he may experience pleasant sensations, but full harmony and happiness is only attained when his fifth principle, his intelligence, fully assents in the union of the first and the third. Other parallels may be drawn between the musical scale and the scale of principles in man, and it will be found that both have their accords in mole and in dur that correspond to each other. Each man's life is a symphony in which either harmonious or discordant tunes may prevail. The power by which harmony is produced is the power of love. Love produces harmony. Hate causes discord. Love is the tendency of the disunited parts of one principle to unite again into one. This tendency presupposes the power of mutual recognition. Recognition is a manifestation of consciousness. Consciousness is a manifestation of life. Life Love, consciousness, harmony are essentially one, and the opposite of which is discord and death. Why do some notes, if sounded together, produce harmony, if not on account of the similarity of the elements that compose them coming to the consciousness of our own mind? Mutual recognition among friends causes joy, and joy means harmony, happiness, and content. If two or more notes of exactly the same kind are sounded together, they produce neither harmony nor discord. They simply increase their own strength. They are already one, and no relation exists between them. But if different notes are struck, each containing an element contained in the other, each sees its own counterpart represented in the mirror held by the other. And this recognition is joy. If we listen to beautiful music, the air seems filled with life. If the principle of harmony exists within ourselves, we may recognize it in the music, and it becomes alive in our soul. A discordant being may listen to the most beautiful music and be left cold, because there is no harmony within his own soul. If a principle becomes conscious of its own existence in another form, and recognizes its beauty in that form, in its purity, and unalloyed by any adulteration, perfect harmony is the result. If two or more things contain the same element, these elements are justly adapted to each other and seek to unite, because they are constituted alike. They vibrate together as one. This tendency to unite creates love, which manifests itself on all planes of existence, the planets are attracted to the sun and to each other because they all contain the same elements seeking to reunite and the power of gravitation is nothing else but the power of love. Man is attracted to woman and woman to man because they perceive in each other the elements of their own highest ideal. And the more their common ideal becomes manifest in each, the more will they love each other and be fully contented. Man and woman can only truly love each other if they are both either consciously or unconsciously attracted by the same ideal. This ideal may be high or low, but the higher it is, the more permanent it will be, and the greater will be their mutual happiness. And now, a word from our sponsors. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line 
prop or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older. But Mini Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. While we cannot control whether any ads get put in the spots allocated, we thank you for listening to those that do since they help keep this project alive. You can also get ad-free content and bonus content and videos and a private webpage by subscribing exclusively to magicwithoutfears.com for only a couple dollars a week or six dollars a month or 50 for the year. It helps a lot, plus you get emails about other exclusive things. Thank you very much. In each human being exists certain elements which are identical with those existing in all other human beings, and therefore one with the latter. Consequently, individual man only appears to be a separate being, while in fact the whole of humanity is a unity and one. It is merely the outward expression of the universal man, which is manifest in many separate human forms. The dirtiest beggar in the street, the most vicious criminal, as well as the greatest king or queen in the world, is myself and yourself. For there is no distinction between one human being and another in the fundamental principle which constitutes a human being, and which is the universal man, the terrestrial Adam and the celestial Christ. In other words, mankind is only one, but it appears in many millions of various masks, and sometimes with very inhuman habits, because the mask which the forms wear hinders their free evolutions. This mask is the personality of each man, the instrument through which Adam acts, and which is full of imperfections. He in whom the terrestrial Adam has become the celestial Adam, the Christ, sees in every man and woman not only his brother or sister, but his own self. A person who injures another injures himself. For each man constitutes a power which acts upon humanity, and the good or evil he does will return to himself. A man who attempts to fall in love with himself, or, with other words, to find in his person his own highest ideal, will never succeed in being contented and harmonious. A man who seeks to recognize himself as his own highest ideal becomes self-centered and vain. His love, instead of expanding to the periphery of his sphere, will act from its periphery to the center, and he will become spiritually smaller every day. But the man or the woman who seeks the realization of their own ideal in the object of their love will, if they find it, recognize it as their own self which they always possessed, although they were not aware of its possession until they found it in another form. He who possesses the truth recognizes it wherever he finds it in others, but he who does not possess it cannot recognize it. Our modern age often rejects the highest truths unless they bear the stamp of man-created authority, but the wise recognize the truth by its own light. Light is darkness unless it is reflected by matter. Light cannot illuminate itself, but it illuminates the darkness and consequently the existence of light depends on the existence of matter. Love without an object cannot exist relatively. A person in love with himself loves nothing. Love attached to nothing exists in the absolute. A love being attached to a high object is high, and if it is attached to a low object, it is low. As life in a low form is low, and in a high form is high. Because love and life and harmony are the functions and attributes of one and the same principle in nature, they are only different aspects of one universal power. 
Where love exists, there is life, and no life can endure without love. And the more the love expands over all, the more will the living spiritual power of man extend. The more love is concentrated upon a single object, the stronger will it be in that direction and infuse love and life in that object. And the more it is divided among different objects, the more will its power be dispersed. Love, to be strong, must be pure and unalloyed with selfish considerations. If we love a thing on account of the use we can make of it, we do not in reality love that thing but ourselves. Pure love has only the well-being of its object in view. It does not calculate profits. It is not afraid of disadvantages that may grow out of its love. The intellect calculates, but love follows the law of attraction. Impure love is no love at all. It is merely attraction. It is weak, and it does not enter into its object. It may cause a ruffle on the soul of another, but does not penetrate to the center. Pure love penetrates and cannot be resisted unless it is opposed by another love of equal strength, but streaming in another direction. The most potent love potion a person can give to another is to love that person without any selfish object in view. Such pure love will infuse itself into the soul of the beloved and call forth corresponding vibrations of love, because one mode of activity gives rise to similar modes according to the universal law of induction. This is undoubtedly true, provided that the love germs in the soul of the beloved correspond in quality to those of the lover and are reached by the latter. The strongest sunshine cannot cause any plants to grow in a soil in which the seeds of the latter are too deeply embedded to be breached by the heat of the sun or too much obstructed by weeds to grow. Likewise, the heart is the soil where psychic germs of all kinds are embedded, ready to unfold, if accessible, to the magic power of love. If you wish to progress on the road to perfection, take lessons in love. Learn to love the highest, and you will be attracted by it. Seek in every man those qualities which appear to be high, and cover his mistakes by charity and love. If you speak ill of another, you speak ill of yourself, because he who prominently notices the faults of another must have the elements of those faults in himself. A vain person is repulsed by the vanity of another. A liar expects from others the truth. A thief does not wish to have his own property taken away. Virtues attract each other, producing harmony, but vices repulse each other and discord is the result. Each man is a mirror in which every other man may see his own image reflected, either as he is or as he may become in the future. For in every human soul exist the same elements, although in different states of development, and their development often depends on external conditions over which man has but little control. An emotion suppressed and forced back on itself may become diseased and its direction perverted. A love which is neither transformed nor fulfilled but harbored in the heart creates phantoms and hallucinations just as stagnant water develops animal life. A love for a high ideal, which, instead of reaching up to the sphere of that ideal, seeks for it in lower spheres, will languish and starve or be attracted to lower ideals. But if love meets its corresponding love, harmony will be the result. Love is the most necessary element for the continuance of life. There is no life without love, and if man were to cease to love life, he would cease to live. A love for a higher life will lead men to a higher condition. A love for a lower state will drag them down to a low. It often happens that if a person's love for a high ideal does not meet the object which it desires, it transfers its love upon something that is low. Old females without any offspring often transfer their parental affection upon some favorite cat or dog, and there are men who buy the semblance of love when no genuine love can be had. Whenever a lower vibration is not entirely out of harmony with a higher one, 
The higher vibration may accelerate the action of the lower one and bring it up to its own level, in the same manner as a bar of iron, surrounded by an insulated electric wire, may have electricity induced in it, and through a long continued and powerful action of the higher vibrations upon the lower ones, even the involuntary actions of the body, such as the movements of the heart, may become subject to individual will. Two strings of a musical instrument which sound not entirely out of harmony may, by being sounded together for a certain length of time, at last become harmonious. A man, living in more refined society, which is not too far above his moral or intellectual level, will become more refined. Servants will ape their masters, and animals take some of the lower characteristics of those that attend to them, and friends or married couples, being continually in each other's company, may finally resemble each other to a certain extent. If the respective rates of the vibrations of two substances are entirely out of harmony, they may repel each other, and abnormal activity or excitement follows. The animal body, for instance, can be exposed without danger to a comparatively high degree of heat if the temperature is gradually raised while an even lower degree of heat may be very injurious if applied suddenly. It is not for fancied reasons that the occultist abstains from alcohol and animal food. The elements of such substances are in a high state of activity, and by coming into contact with the elements of the blood, they stimulate them and throw them into an abnormal state of vibration, giving rise to emotions on the astral plane which may in their turn affect the higher principles in man in an undesirable manner. The same is the case with other substances, whose odic emanations are red, while those emitting blue auras are of a different character. But even the highest elements draw their nourishment directly from the lowest ones, and the old saying that a sound mind needs a sound body to develop in is not a mere fiction. Because although a sound brain, the instrument of the mind, may exist in an invalid body, still robust health is nevertheless useful and desirable, and it is important for the development of occult powers to select proper food and follow such laws of hygiene as the individual may require. Quote, what may be one man's food will be another man's poison. In the sphere of matter as well as in the sphere of emotions, Strong constitutions can bear strong food. Weak minds will get frightened at unwelcome truths. Intemperance in food and drink is as bad as intemperance in emotion, and self-restraint is equally necessary on both planes. No man has ever become an adept merely because he lived on vegetables. A vegetable diet is, however, much preferable to meat-eating for various reasons apart from the self-evident fact that it is entirely untheosophical and opposed to the divine law of justice that he who strives after the attainment of a higher state of existence should destroy animal life, or cause others to destroy it for the purpose of gratifying his animal appetite, it will be plain to every one who investigates the laws of the higher life that the loading of the human organism with animal substances will not facilitate its penetration by the light of the divine spirit. Those who desire to become more spiritual and refined should avoid supplying their bodies with that which is gross. Those who desire to master their passions should not feed themselves with substances in which the elements of such passions reside, those who wish to come into possession of more ethereal forms act unwisely if they supply the latter with substances which must necessarily render them more gross and material and dense, and thus hinder the free movement of the spirit within. Instances may be known where a person has attained a considerable degree of spiritual development in spite of living on the corpses of animals, but such instances are very rare, and it may be said without hesitation that one of the first steps to the acquisition of spiritual refinement is the abandonment of animal food. A great variety of different kinds of food produce disorders of the digestive organs and the impurities of the blood. A struggle for life ensues between the different auras, and excitement, fever, and disease is the result. 
The same law explains the origin of venereal and cutaneous diseases, and in the astral plane, a great variety of emotions called into existence within a short space of time may render a person insane. Numerous cases of severe chronic diseases are known to have been cured by fasting, either voluntary or enforced. Man actually needs but little food. Gluttony is a habit, not a necessity. Wherever two forces of an entirely opposite character meet, disharmony will be the result, and as everybody has his own peculiar emanations and auras and transmits them to others, so everyone receives the magnetic auras of others or of the locality by which he is surrounded, and these emanations may be either wholesome or pestiferous. Men and women may either cure or poison each other by them, and it may therefore be well to follow the advice which Gautama Buddha gave to his disciples, and eat and sleep alone. Many people are very careful to have their food well prepared, so that no unhealthy food enters the body, while at the same time they are very careless as to what emotions enter their mind, because they fail to realize that purity of the emotions is as necessary as purity of the body. A strong force overcomes a weak force, and a stronger emotion may render a weaker one inactive. If the strong emotion is high, it elevates the lower. If the lower one is the strongest, degradation is the result. Cautiousness may keep combativeness in check or make man a coward. But without cautiousness, combativeness will fly off at a tangent, and rashness and disaster may be the result. The higher emotions evolute from the lower ones, and by the control of reason, vices grow into virtues. Intense love of self may expand into love of wife and friends, or widen still more into a love of country or a love of humanity. The more it expands, the more it becomes refined. Nothing in the universe can be annihilated. Only the form can be changed. An emotion cannot be killed, but it can be educated up to a higher level. Purely sexual instinct may be transformed into a pure love of an elevated character by associating with a person of the other sex, who is of a highly moral and intellectual nature. Brutal combativeness may be purified by leading it into an intellectual channel, where the pen will take the place of a cudgel. Acquisitiveness may be elevated into a craving for knowledge and destructiveness into a desire for the destruction of error. It has been said that our vices are the ladder on which we may climb up to heaven, and this is undoubtedly true because the only effective virtue which man can possess is energy, and if we employ our energies for good instead of evil, we turn our vice into virtue. But he who possesses no energy is equally useless for good as he is for evil. There can be nothing absolutely wrong in employing the natural instincts and emotions in a natural and legitimate manner. The question is only whether such an employment will be useful for the purpose we have in view. If we have a sum of money at our disposal, we have a right to spend it for pleasure, or to buy something useful, or to throw it away. In the same manner, we may spend our physical forces, our vital energies, and our emotions for the pursuit of useful pleasures or for the purpose of our higher evolution. But as we cannot expend the same sum of money again after it is once spent, so the sum of energies expended for a low purpose will be lost for the higher object in view. If a person has no higher object in view than to eat and drink, sleep and propagate his species, he may be thereby rendered perfectly happy, and if he follows the dictates of his nature, there can be nothing wrong. But he who desires to assist the slow process of nature in developing himself into an immortal being must take care not to waste his strength on lower attractions, and in the course of time the energies which produced the lower emotions will develop into not less strong but higher emotions, the whole of the lower activity will be transformed into a higher one. Only that which is pure can be harmonious. Singleness of purpose renders a motive pure, but a variety of purposes causes impurity. If a person devotes himself to a certain mode of life, 
because all his desires are directed towards that end, his motive will be pure, but if he has besides other objects in view, his motive will be impure and may defeat his aim. The word asceticism is continually misapplied. A man who lives in a convent or as an hermit in the wilderness is not an ascetic, if he has no desire for a life in the world. For it is no act of self-denial to avoid that which we do not want. Asceticism means discipline, and a person who is disgusted with the ways of the world undergoes a much more severe discipline if he remains in the world than if he runs away and goes where he may enjoy his peace. The real ascetic is therefore he who lives in the midst of the society whose manners displease him and whose tastes are not his own, and who, in spite of all the temptations by which he may be surrounded, still maintains his integrity of character. Strength only grows by resistance, and our enemies are therefore our friends, if we know how to use them. A hermit living in the woods, where he has no one to contradict and resist him, can gain no strength. Such a life is only suitable for one who has already gained full strength, and who wants to enjoy that which he already possesses. Tranquility is only suitable for the adept. The neophyte must go through the ordeal of life. Metals are purified by fire, and the emotions by suffering. The lower desires must starve to nourish the higher. The animal passions must be crucified and die, but the angel of will removes the stone from the sepulchre and liberates the higher energies from the sphere of selfishness and darkness, and then the resurrected virtues will begin to live and become active in a new world of enduring light and harmony. To obtain a clear view of the process of purification of man, imagine yourself immersed in a mist of matter, surrounded by inimical influences from the emotions of the astral plane that gradually lead to your dissolution. Deep in yourself, in the cloudless center of your soul, and yet seemingly far above you, is your internal God, your ethereal prototype, your real self. The immortal Adonai, like a mirage, waiting to attract your more refined elements toward himself. The more you concentrate your thoughts and desires upon your lower self and cling to the sphere of desires, the more will the serene image grow dim and shadowy. But if your aspirations and thoughts, made effective by your will and your acts, rise above the sphere of self and cling to the pure ideal, then your higher energies will flow towards it, making it grow more and more distinct and substantial, until your innermost self and your consciousness is united with it, and free from all earthly attractions, looks down upon that which remains below, and beholds in it only the shadow of its own immortal reality. Desire results from attraction. Attraction results from the separation of two substances, analogous in their essences and properties. We cannot desire a thing of which we know nothing, and if we are attracted to a thing, there must necessarily be in us a portion of it desirous to reunite itself with the portion from which it is separated, a human being, possessed of a divine spark of the universal spirit, knows intuitively the source from which it came and with which it desires to become reunited, without needing any scientific demonstration to convince him intellectually of this truth. To recognize the purity of the divine spark within is true adoration. To attempt to realize it is true meditation. To exert the will to bring oneself in perfect harmony with it is aspiration or prayer. To express that prayer in acts is to make it effective. True prayer is always efficacious on the plane whereon it is made to act. Prayer on the physical plane consists in physical works. On the astral plane it purifies the emotions through the action of the will. In the realm of the intellect, study is prayer and leads to knowledge and the highest spiritual aspirations lift man out of the turmoil of matter and bring him nearer to his own God. There is not a single instance known in history in which true prayer has not been efficacious. If any man has not obtained that which he asked, 
it only proves that he did not know how to pray. True prayer means self-sacrifice, a giving up of the low upon the altar of the high. True prayer does not consist in words, but in actions. And the gods help him who helps himself. But he who expects that the gods should do for him that which he ought to accomplish himself does not know how to pray and will be disappointed. Prayer means arising up in your thoughts and aspirations to our highest ideal. But if we do not ourselves rise up to it, we do not pray. If we expect our highest ideal to come down to us, we expect an absurdity and impossibility. To attain the highest, the spirit should be the master, the passions, the servants. A helpless cripple is the slave of his servant, a man who depends on ignorant servants to do work, which he can do himself has, to a certain extent, to submit to their whims and imperfections, and if he changes his servants, that does not change his position. A person who has vulgar desires and tastes becomes the servant of these tastes. They dictate to him, and he has to exert himself to obtain the means to gratify their claims. But he who has no ignoble desires to serve is independent and free and his own master. He has conquered matter. His strife with the astral elements ceases. For him, discord can then no longer exist, and his purified elements will find their responsive vibrations in the eternal life of the universal spirit of love. Hermetic Science Enterprises is a publishing company based in Scotland, UK, that specializes in Western esoteric printed literature as well as educational videos. With various imprints under its belt, its roster consists of grimoire tradition literature, alchemical works, Golden Dawn tradition books, and the several texts and videos originally belonging to the philosophers of nature. Besides its downloadable videos and standard hardcover edition books, Hermetic Science Enterprises also produces beautiful and precious limited fine edition books that are true pieces of art. For more information to order any of its products, please visit www.hermeticscienceenterprises.co.uk that's hermeticscienceenterprises.co.uk. And as a lot of you know, I've uh, talked with the publisher Lenny on the podcast before, including a six-hour epic uh, extended version on the Patreon, and uh, seen the fine edition of his new grimoire of Scott's Discovery of Witchcraft, which is only available for purchase up to 50 limited copies uh, till the end of May, I believe. So check it out now. HermeticScienceEnterprises.co.uk